From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, presenting a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text is found in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. We may understand this to refer to justification. They shall walk in white, that is, they shall enjoy a constant sense of their own justification by faith. They shall understand that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to them, that they have all been washed and made whiter than the newly fallen snow. Again, it refers to joy and gladness, for white robes were holiday dresses among the Jews. They who have not defiled their garments shall have their faces always bright. They shall understand what Solomon meant when he said, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. Let thy garments be always white, for God hath accepted thy works." He who is accepted of God shall wear white garments of joy and gladness while he walks in sweet communion with the Lord Jesus. Whence so many doubts, such misery and mourning? It is because so many believers defile their garments with sin and error, and hence they lose the joy of their salvation and the comfortable fellowship of the Lord Jesus. They do not here below walk in white. The promise also refers to walking in white before the throne of God, Those who have not defiled their garments here shall most certainly walk in white up yonder, where the white-robed hosts sing perpetual hallelujahs to the Most High. They shall possess joys inconceivable, happiness beyond a dream, bliss which imagination knoweth not, blessedness which even the stretch of desire hath not reached. The undefiled in the way shall have all this, not of merit nor of works, but of grace." They shall walk with Christ in white, for he has made them worthy. In his sweet company they shall drink of the living fountains of waters.
these days when the forces of evil are devastating our land, God's people need to pray. More than that, we must engage in united prayer. Just as the apostles and the early church were of one accord gathering for prayer, the cry for our day must be, Let us pray. To encourage the Lord's people to this end, Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a publication entitled, The Case for United Prayer. Presented within its pages are excerpts from the works of Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Pastor Richard Cross. The centerpiece of the book is Samuel Prime's first-hand account of the famous New York City prayer meetings of 1857, begun by one man, Jeremiah Lamphere. This simple effort was blessed by God until prayer meetings sprang up all over the nation and ushered in a mighty revival that spread across the sea to Great Britain, culminating in the great 1859 revival in Northern Ireland. To obtain your copy of The Case for United Prayer free of charge, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Case for United Prayer.
Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues his series of studies in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Today he'll bring the next portion of a message called The Sanctification of the Spirit. From the text in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we see that it is the Holy Spirit who accomplishes the work of sanctification or holiness in the believer. As Dr. Cairns has shown already, Holiness is a characteristic of every Christian without exception. It affects every area of his life, and it goes on all through his earthly life. Today, Dr. Cairns emphasizes that sanctification is a godly work, carried out specifically by the Holy Spirit. We must be careful to avoid two extremes in this area. On the one hand, the modernistic fallacy that holiness is simply self-improvement— The other error is that of so-called sinless perfection, or second blessing. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message, the sanctification of the Spirit. There is a continual battle raging against the spiritual progress of the child of God, as hell would mount its armaments against us and let loose every fury of which it's capable in order to dethrone holiness from our heart and in order to waylay us and get us into sin. In the midst of that battle, sadly we must confess many personal failures, reverses, and weaknesses. But as that is going on, with the Spirit of God continually working in our minds, in our hearts, in our consciences, in every part of our lives, with the devil opposing at every step and turn, with the flesh acting like a Trojan horse to seek to open up the gates to the devil. Nonetheless, this work of sanctification never ceases in the believer until finally God brings us home to glory. It is an intensive work. Now this is the work which the Holy Spirit of God is constantly carrying out in the lives of believers. And it's this peculiar work of the Spirit that I want us to consider today. And in doing so, I'm going to make five very, very simple and basic observations. The first one about the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification within us. The first thing I say is this, that it is a godly work. Now by that I don't merely mean that it produces godliness. It does. But I mean this word very strictly. It is a work of God. A work of God which in its turn produces Godliness and enables the child of God to work and live in a godly fashion. It is specifically in Scripture said to be not only the work of God, but the work of the Spirit of God. I have quoted to you some Scriptures we read in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. That uh, we are changed into the image of Christ. By the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Spirit of God who effects holiness in the life. I have quoted 
1 Peter 1 and 2 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13. It is the sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctification which is produced by the Spirit. Now when you get into this matter of how to be holy, there are two great extremes. On the one hand, you have the notions of modernists. And they would really talk about self-improvement. And they tell you to have a good look at yourself. Now I'm calling this modernism because that's where it originated. But I want you to listen to the description of it very carefully and you're going to make a sad discovery that this form of sanctification is not now limited to liberal churches. It's not just preached by modernistic preachers, but sadly modernism has been taken over by evangelicalism, aye, and even by some branches of fundamentalism, and it's trotted out as the way to be holy. Modernism tells you to look within yourself, to estimate your strengths and your weaknesses, to write out even your faults, and to consider how best they can be overcome. And by recognizing your weaknesses, you'll be able, first of all, to come to terms with yourself and accept yourself as you are. Have you ever heard that jargon? That's the jargon of almost every seminar that's cursing America today. That's the jargon of the neo-evangelical camp. That's the jargon of misled fundamentalist preachers who don't know the first thing about biblical sanctification. Self-improvement. Come to the place where recognizing your strengths and weaknesses, you can first of all accept yourself and then by applying the proper uh, psychological principles, you can begin to lessen your weaknesses and make much of your strengths. I want to say to you today that no process of self-improvement is worthy of the name of sanctification. That's modernism. And I'm using the term deliberately because I don't care whether it is a Bible believer who preaches this or a Unitarian. It's still modernism. And it should be recognized for what it is. And it ought to be excluded from the Christian pulpit. Then there is the other extreme. In modernism, it's all human activity. There's no mystery about it. There's no miracle about it. There's no special grace about it. It's all human activity. Now the other extreme would be what some have looked on as the extreme Keswick position. Now let me just stop off here. I'm not going to spend my time having a strong assault on the Keswick movement. There have been some people who have gone far too far in that movement and done and said foolish things. But for the most part, they have been a holy living people. 
and a people who have sought to please their God. I think they have gone wrong in many areas of theology, but I've got to thank God for the kind of lives that the most of them have led. So I'm not going to call them heretics, and I'm not equating them with modernists. But some of the Keswick preachers became very extreme, and they held to the position in absolute antagonism to modernism, which said it's all human activity, of saying there's no human activity. Total passivity. They spoke of this, that you get saved instantaneously. You get justified instantaneously. And they say equally, you get sanctified instantaneously. They will often speak of this as the second blessing. I have heard many, many people back in Northern Ireland testify, I got saved on the 10th day of May 1955. I got sanctified on the first day of September 1958. That sort of thing. They got sanctified. And in that sanctification, the root of sin was eradicated, ripped out, and they were left, as one Keswick writer put it, with easy holiness. In fact, he went so far as to say, if it's not easy, it's not right. If you don't overcome with ease, you're not come overcoming at all. You may as well not overcome. Well, now, of course, that's going to great extremes. And they're both wrong. They're both wrong. The Bible says, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's human activity. Now, he's not speaking about working to be saved. He's talking about working because you are saved. Any man that wants to work to be saved will be damned. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's verse 12. Verse 13. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You work because God works. That's why in Scripture sanctification is called the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and following. I'm not going into that passage today. As the Lord wills, we may look at that more fully on another occasion. But sanctification, love, joy, peace, etc. These, my friend, are the fruit, not the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit. They are the production of the Holy Spirit within the life. In John 15, the fruit that a believer bears is likened to the fruit that is born on a branch of a vine. It is not the production of the branch in itself. It is the production of the vine through the branch. And that is the picture of biblical sanctification. Now, it's essential for Christians to get a good, solid grasp of this. We do sin. It would be nice to say that we don't sin. It would be nice to say it, that is, if it were true. There are a lot of people say it. I remember a man near Balamuni, and uh, he did a very crazy thing. He had been talking to a friend of mine, Albert Macaulay, and telling him he hadn't sinned for 20 years. 
Not for twenty years. He had never sinned in word, thought, deed, sins of omission, commission, anything else. He had not sinned for twenty years. Albert used to drive our church bus picking up kids for Sunday school in a country area and the road was very narrow. This man drove in a very foolish way on the blind side of the bus and he nearly caused an accident. There was no accident, but quick as a flash Sunday morning, he was out of that car, slammed the door, nearly took it off its hinges, come roaring up to the bus with a steam belching out of his ears, and his words were tumbling forth in a torrent of abuse and anger and fury. Then he saw the driver was Albert Macaulay, the man he had just told a little while before, I haven't sinned for twenty years. And man, he was looking for a little hole to get buried in. It's easy to say we haven't sinned. It would be nice to say it if it were true. But sadly we do sin. Oh yes, every Christian has new life. But as one man I read said, sadly very often we seem to be in a very sickly condition. Indeed, there are times in Christians' lives when you would begin to wonder if the life has not died out. Had you looked at the Corinthian Christians in Paul's day, you'd have had to wonder were these people ever saved. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, you are carnal. Man, I want to tell you that that is an awful indictment. And as you look across American Christianity today, and as you look across British Christianity today, and Western European Christianity today, you look at a people who have every advantage. But by and large, they're using those advantages merely for the pleasures of the flesh. And you've got to say you're carnal. The biggest indictment of Western Christianity. When a man like Georgie Vins comes out of Russia, he could say, I would rather be in Russia than in America. Just from a personal standpoint. Not because Russia's a better country. Not because he's not grateful for the hospitality of America and the base it gives uh, to help the Russian Christians. No, no, no. But because... In Eastern Europe, you've got a people who have nothing but Christ to live for. In America and in Britain, you've got a people who name the name of Jesus and they're carnal. They care for little except a show. Oh yes, at times you look at Christians and you wonder, has the life not died out? But if they're saved, whatever the sickness, you can say this sickness is not unto death. I think of the words of Micah, and this is true of every Christian, mind you. Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. It's a good text for every believer. The devil would come to crow over the failures and sins of a Christian. Rejoice not, O mine enemy. When I fall, I will arise. That's true of a Christian.
You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. Music